Thank you for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review of your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by visiting our website at believerschurchjc.com. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We are located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. So the month was August and the year was 2015. I was having lunch at a barbecue restaurant in eastern Kentucky called Pig and a Poke. Don't know if you guys ever ate there, but absolutely, Dad's been there. Wonderful. If you're ever driving, if you ever have a reason to drive through eastern Kentucky, uh, make sure that you stop by Pig and a Poke. It's some of the best barbecue that you're ever going to have. I was with my pastor at the time, and he told me, he said, I've basically capped my abilities at this time and we are looking for a new lead pastor. What he meant by that was he was a church planter that was also a full-time dentist, a very successful pediatric dentist, and he had told me, I've really taken the church as far as we're able to go under my leadership in this particular role. So he started to talk to me about the possibility of becoming the lead pastor. He knew that I was in seminary. He knew that eventually I was going to be going to a church or planting a church or or something in the, in the line of ministry. So he asked me if it was something I would be interested in. And I was very excited. I was very enthusiastic, but I needed to pray about it. And as a result of what happened, there was a transition that led to me becoming the lead pastor the following year and him stepping into the role of the executive pastor, which also fit his gifting very well. Our church embarked on an amazing three and a half years of growth salvation, callings, baptism, life change that whenever I'm able to follow on social media, still able to see the fruits of that time today. Just an absolute, and they have a wonderful pastor there now. So today we're in week 13. We're in the 13th part of our series in Acts, Unstoppable Church. If you haven't been here, if this is your first Sunday, I want to encourage you to go back to the podcast, check out what we've been talking about, the origins and development of the church, the hunger of the early followers, uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, what all this looks like early in Acts, because it's going to be very important for where we're going today. The growth part has been fascinating, and today we're going to look at how the early church actually goes about appointing new leaders. Now, I feel like I have to say this, and this is just a God thing. I didn't plan this message on this particular day, but I feel like with where we are as a church, just with some internal things that are going on and some things that are going on in the lives of other people, that this is a very, very important message for all of us today as a body. It's going to be a really, really, really good day. So this message is for our season. We must be in the business of developing new leaders and dealing with conflict. If you've ever been to a church long enough, you know what conflict looks like and doing these things and, and, and carrying these out the most important ways and the best ways possible. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 6. If you want to turn there, Acts chapter 6, you can read up here as well, follow on your phone, however you want to do that. Just want to make sure that you're taking this passage in. Acts chapter 6, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 7 today. 
So we've talked about this growth, all these amazing things that are going on, the Holy Spirit pouring in. And the point that we're starting to get to as we're looking at scattering and sending is how the church structure actually starts to develop. Very, very, very important passage today. So this is what the passage says. About this time, while the numbers of disciples to conti- continue to increase, so they're growing and they're growing and they're growing, a complaint arose. More people, more complaints. More people, more possibility for division. Greek-speaking disciples accused the Aramaic-speaking disciples because their widows were being overlooked in the daily food service. The twelve called a meeting of all the disciples and said, it isn't right for us to set aside proclamation of God's word in order to serve tables. Brothers and sisters, carefully choose seven well-respected men from among you. They must be well-respected and endowed by the spirit with exceptional wisdom. We will put them in charge of this concern. As for us, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the service of proclaiming the word. This proposal pleased the entire community. Do you know how hard that is to do in a church? Do you know how hard it would be for me to just get up here and make a decision and not one of you walk out with a complaint? You see, I've always said the most important time in church is not in church. It's when you're in the car and have the time to either like really take the message in or really complain about the message or what someone said to you. Okay, so no complaints on the car ride home. All right, everybody is pleased within the community. They selected Stephen, a man endowed by the Holy Spirit with exceptional faith. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. The community presented these seven to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. God's word continued to grow. So they did something right. God's word continued to grow. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased significantly. Even a large group of priests, Jewish priests, embraced the faith. In a movement of this size, it's definitely time to start appointing new leaders. A lot of times we don't like the thought of appointing new leaders because we like to try to hold on to power ourselves. Luke, the writer, identified two main groups in the early church. There's the Hellenist, and then there's the Hebrews. The Hebrews are Aramaic-speaking Jews. The Hellenists, like Jesus, the Hellenists are Greek-speaking Jews. So these two groups of Jews are divided by language and culture, yet they're kind of under this new same tent of Christianity. Now, not only are these two groups divided by language and culture, the Hellenists felt that the Hebrews were neglecting their widows. So everyone's going through the line, getting their food. We've talked about the communal dynamics that are at work within this church. Everybody's going through, and this is definitely a minority group. This is definitely a smaller group of believers So some of the Hellenists start to complain, we're not getting as much food as the Hebrews, and this is an issue. This is just kind of a typical complaint. Complaints happen all the time in church. So the leaders of the apostles arise and recognize that there is something that they have to do. The apostles don't want division. That's the key part right there. And that's what we need to understand because we're growing. 
God is doing wonderful things in this church, but we don't want division. Division is a very, very bad thing. What the majority of churches do is they take disagreements, they take problems, they sweep those under a rug, and in a very short period of time, you have a church split. You have gossip. You have anger. You have all these bad emotions so that whenever culture looks at the church, the majority of the time, this is what they see. It is incredibly difficult to keep a church together on the same page. It is incredibly difficult to get to a position in which we completely surrender our egos to the point that we can actually serve and be what we are supposed to, serve, supposed to be. But this is what's going on in this section right now. And this is really the first time in a really, really, really strong way that they face this. But here's the thing. Every church goes through similar situations. It's went on here before. Some of you guys have been in other churches where you've seen division, maybe not even to the point where a church is split or something like that, but major, major disagreements in which maybe a, a chunk of the church leaves or something like that. It's a very, very common thing. It's also the reason that we have in the United States of America a zillion denominations. Did you know that there are not a zillion denominations in other countries. But with this idea of individual freedom, which was born into who we are, if there's a slight disagreement about baptism, if there's a slight disagreement about the Trinity, if there's a slight disagreement about the carpet color, telling the truth, whatever it might, we don't have carpet. Thank God we can't argue about that one. All right. But we can argue about other things. I know we can because some of you complain to me all the time. Division. It's a very, very serious problem. Someone gets their feelings hurt. It happens all the time. And, and, and just to take a little, I shouldn't say credit, I should say responsibility, sometimes I'm the one that hurts feelings. And I am repentant about that, I can promise you that. There is division over doctrine. I didn't know that they believed that. Or I didn't know that they practiced that. So there can be these divisions over doctrine. A leader isn't meeting expectations. It happens. Uh, the, there's gossip in the church. There are all of these issues that we have, and I want you to hear this. How we handle this means everything. How we approach this and how we handle this within the local church means everything. And we have some very good lessons that are here for us today. So a few things to consider this morning. First, why deacons? Why is there a need for deacons? Why might deacons or other titles within the church be important? Uh, we, don't, we don't use the title deacon, okay? Maybe one day we will. But deacon means servant. It means helper. It means messenger. There are a lot of different meanings for what deacons are. And if you go across denominations, if you look at Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalians, the Catholic Church, deacon means something different maybe just a little bit different within just about every denomination. But let's broaden this question just a little bit further. Why elders? Why student pastors? Why outreach coordinators? Why executive pastors? Why treasurers? Why worship pastors? Why do we need these things? Why do we need these Positions. Verse 2 says this, 
The 12 called a meeting of all disciples and said, it isn't right for us to set aside the proclamation of God's word in order to serve tables. Please understand this. The apostles are not denying the importance of the works of justice and compassion. One of the things they're simply saying is that we can't do it all. In fact, they understand even as the apostles, those works of mercy and justice, all believers are responsible for those things. It's very important that we understand that. So don't misunderstand what's going on here. This is what they are saying. We can't do it all. And you want to know something? There are some pastors out there. There are some church leaders out there that have a very, very difficult, a very difficult time admitting that. A very difficult time letting go of things in order to release other people to do the work of the Spirit. Some of you might have grown up in churches or you've visited churches before where you've seen that situation where the concentration of power is all in one person's hand. We often call this person a lead pastor or a senior pastor. And just to be completely honest, this is the model that the majority of us grew up with. So it takes a lot of humility to take the biblical approach and say, I can't do it all on my own. Take, for example, this event that we had yesterday. Uh, Cultivate Women's Ministry did this event. I knew they had plans. I knew they, were, they, were, they had things going on. When I got there yesterday, I trusted the leadership that was leading that event. But I really didn't know what was going on. I just said, put me here, put whatever, whatever it is that you guys need me to do, and stepped back because that's not my gifting. You don't want me leading your children. I can promise you that. You leave the gifting to people who are gifted in those areas and you let them thrive in those areas. But instead we have this experience of all of this, this micromanaging. So I want you to understand this today because this is why this is so important for our church and why it's so important for other churches. We must empower individual gifting for the purpose of kingdom growth. Empowering individual gifting, helping you understand why you're here. Every single follower of Jesus in the body of Christ has gifting. You may say to yourself, I'm not good at anything. I can't really do anything. Get over yourself. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You have things about you that need to carry this church to places that I simply can't do. Can I say it in a way that sounds a little bit more desperate? I need you. We need you to fulfill what God has for this church in this time and place as we scatter to other places. We must delegate the mission in order to keep from bottlenecking the mission. And what that means is that whenever you fill your gifting, fulfill your gifting, movement is happening. The Holy Spirit is working. Otherwise, when we bottleneck the church, we're stagnant. And you see churches that can't grow. You see churches that can't produce. You see churches in which the Holy Spirit isn't active. And it's because the body has not been told they can be active. You must learn to utilize this gifting. Please, I mean, I will do what I can to help you as an individual, to help you as a family, 
But there is a time in your life that you've got to get off the milk, get on the meat, and pick yourself up and start utilizing your gifting within the body. We must also develop others so that we don't destroy others. And that means the leaders that are in positions right now, and I'm just going to be completely honest, if you're not developing other people, we can't really use you. You can't really use the title leader. You can use the title maybe, maybe manager or someone who is helping out. But if we're not developing others, we're, we're destroying others. If, if you believe that your purpose at Believer's Church is to sit here and take in something that I say and then leave, and we're not empowering you to do your work, we are, we are giving you such, we're, we're not doing anything good for you. You have to be able to use what God has given you. We must empower individual gifting for the purpose of kingdom growth. That's all we care about here. Helping, making, helping, devote, helping people, broken people, I'll get the mission in a minute. Helping broken people become devoted followers of Jesus. We can't do that if we're not developing others. We must empower individual gifting for the purpose of kingdom growth. We must delegate the mission to avoid bottlenecking the mission. We must develop others so that we're not destroying others. The enemy of any missional movement is the concentration of power in the hands of a few people. That's why some people worship pastors. You see, for, if you're a leader in here, you're a pastor, it's not about your brand growing. It's not about your platform growing. It's about you dying every single day of your life. It's about you spreading out your witness so that other people can share in the work that God wants to do. Otherwise, that celebrity pastor leaves, that popular pastor leaves, the church is done. We need you. We need your gifting more now than probably ever. Now, this doesn't mean that every believer should make decisions. It doesn't. But it, it does mean that every believer should have a voice. So what are the, quali are the qualifications for deacons? All right, so what does this look like? Just if we're specifically talking about deacons. Let's look at verse 3. Brothers and sisters, men and women... Carefully choose seven well-respected men from among you. They must be well-respected. Did you notice well-respected was twice? It's mentioned twice there. They must be well-respected and endowed by the Spirit with exceptional wisdom. We will put them in charge of this concern. All right, so here's the qualifications right here. Well-respected, endowed by the Spirit, Full of wisdom. All right, I'm going to say it again. Well-respected, endowed by the Spirit, full of wisdom. In a nutshell, spiritually mature people with integrity. You hear that? Spiritually mature people with integrity. Within this context, do they have to be men? Within this context, it's asked that they are. And we're not given any reason for that. Are there female deacons? Yes. In the Bible and also in the early church. Take Phoebe, for example. Phoebe was responsible for delivering the letter to the Romans. And she was also Paul's benefactor, which meant that she took care of his financial support as well. 
She carries the letter, and a number of theologians believe that it was not just her responsibility to carry the letter, but she also was responsible for teaching that letter, the most important theological treatise and letter that we have. This would mean that Phoebe would have given expository sermons on the most significant letter in all of Christian theolo- uh, theology. Now, most importantly today, and what I want to focus on that's key, is this aggressive move toward unity. Because this is really where we need to be today, this aggressive move toward unity. For me, I believe this is the heart of the story, and I want to spend just a little bit of time here before we close. Verses 6 and 7 say this. The community presented the seven to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. God's word continued to grow. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased significantly. Even a large number of priests embraced the faith. Shared leadership leads to shared mission. Many voices all over this church glued to the same mission. The people bring this concern to the twelve. It's clearly time to scale and create a division of labor regarding leadership. And we've talked to our people about this as well as we grow, about scaling with leadership. Now, this is what's important about the story. The Hellenist or the Greek-speaking Jews, this is what's so different about the scripture uh, from society. The Hellenists are the ones complaining, the Greek-speaking Jews. The deacons selected all have... Greek names. So they were most likely Hellenists. Now, this is why this is amazing. The Hellenists are claiming to be underrepresented. Our widows are being neglected. Why aren't you doing something about this? They're getting all this food and we're not getting this food. I want you to listen to this. The Hebrews then take seven Hellenists. And give them a position of power. If that's not the gospel. And if that's not seeing the lowliness of people. We're not even going to take Hebrews. And put them in this position. We're going to take the people that are struggling. They have to be spiritually mature. They have to be endowed by the spirit. They have to have integrity. They have to be trusted. But we're going to take people that don't talk like us. And don't look like us. And we're going to elevate. You say, I'm just not sure if that would work. That seems a little bit controversial. Why would they have not taken people that look and acted exactly like them? And then the church starts to increase. And the church starts to grow. And it starts to move forward more and more and more. Listen to what happens. Ego is crushed. Power is surrendered. Leadership is shared. Most importantly, in the midst of division, peace is restored. We never see this. We look at resumes. We consider people that have been in the church the longest. We never do it this way. I mean, you're going to find out very soon the the testimony and the witness of Stephen and the testimony and the witness of Philip and the way that they move forward in these absolutely miraculous ways. They made good choices. As far as their leaders were concerned, and these leaders were different from them because they understood this. We must empower 
individual gifting for the purpose of kingdom growth. We must delegate the mission and send people out so that we're not becoming stagnant and bottlenecking the mission. We must develop others so that we don't destroy others. Now, why did the numbers of disciples increase significantly? This is not a point. Division is right there. It's present. And in so many churches, I'll bet just in Boone's Creek right now, there is division. Something is brewing under the surface. Anything could happen at any moment. But then all of a sudden, they start growing like crazy. And peace is restored. What are the secret ingredients for this leadership? What is it that they do? They went to Forbes 500. They went to the best resumes on on Indeed. They did all these things. No. This is what they did. Leaders were dispersed so that ministry could become more intentional. Leaders were chosen by the people from the minority group affected. Utilizing gifting. Utilizing gifting was a priority. And as a result, the church increases. Intentionality, focus, gifting, and the church starts to increase in an absolutely amazing way. And here's what we need today. If we're following this model, the church model, the model of Acts, the model of Scripture, if we are following this model closely, here's some takeaways that you need to pay attention to today. Please hear me when I say this. Please, Holy Spirit, move in our hearts as we close out today. This is the first. Avoid leadership that seeks power over surrender. Avoid leadership. Avoid it. Run from it. From the per- I've got all these good ideas. I've got all this experience. I've got all this. I've got all that. It's not about you. Fall on your face before a living God. Show us how you work with other people. Show us the humility of your heart. And then maybe you're in a place where you can avoid all forms of social climbing. Avoid people with an agenda. Avoid people seeking to add or take away from the mission. And you'll be okay. You'll be okay. Number two, avoid leadership that doesn't bring unity in agreements and peace. This one's even more important. And peace in areas of disagreements. Avoid leadership that doesn't bring unity in agreements and peace in disagreements. Please hear me when I say this. We are never going to all agree on theology. Did you hear me? When it comes to doctrine, we are never, every person in this church, as we start to scatter, as this church grows larger, we are never going to agree on everything. But pick the hills that you are willing to die on wisely. I love Jesus. I love Jesus more than anything in this world. And I love Baptists and Catholics 
and Episcopalians and Methodists and Pentecostals and people from all different walks. I'm part of the universal church. And though I really, really disagree with some things, if Jesus is proclaimed, I'm in. If Jesus is denied or he's a side note, I'm out. And it's that simple for me. That's where I draw the line. Some of you may agree. Some of you may disagree. Also, avoid leadership that doesn't practice the art of broken humility. If you're in here and you believe he must be talking about him or he must be talking about her, I'm talking about you. Avoid people who do not understand the art of broken humility. 99% of the times that I step before you or a room full of addicts or another church, there is an unworthiness about me that I cannot even begin to fathom. And as some of you have learned over the last two years, I am full of weaknesses and areas that God is still working on me. I, I, don't, I have nothing for leaders who've already arrived, who want to talk about everything they've done and everything they can do. I'm looking for people who are so broken by their own sin and feel so worthy to be called a child of God that it's really the only thing they can fathom in any given moment. And when you get people working together like that, they understand humility. They understand things are not always going to go there. I wish I could tell you the number of things that we've done just in the last few couple years as a church that I have taken part in that would have not been done exactly the way that I would have liked it. I'm just being honest with you. But in order for me to empower the leaders around me and the people that I care about, I've had to die to those things. They're mostly personal preferences anyway. So what I'm going to ask us to do as we close today, because I consider this to be a very, very critical time in the heart of our church. For those of you that are comfortable with this, and for those of you that are able to do this, we're going to pray down here at the altar, but we're very specifically going to pray over the leadership of this church and also any possible future leaders at this church that we're sending out to other churches that the criteria that we practice is not based on a corporate model but instead on a Jesus biblical example so for those of you that are willing if you if you would come forward if you want to pray from your seat you can if you if it's your preference to, if, if you have a difficult time, you know, bending down or anything like that, and or maybe I should say getting back up, 
you know, but you can go ahead and come down. Just somebody, somebody lead the way. Don't make me feel more weird than I already do. All right, so we're going to come down here and we're going to pray. And then we're going to worship. Father, we come to you rarely ever knowing what you're doing. Just knowing that we need you. Knowing that every single moment of every single day, anything that could happen that could completely change the course of our lives. Father, we need strong leadership. We need biblical leadership. And Father, we need to be able to enable and mobilize and send gifted people. Father, my prayers for those in here uh, right now that feel as if they may not be good enough, that they're past being used, uh, that God is no longer in their midst, that God has forgotten them. Father, some of those individuals are some of the most gifted people in the world with kids or with song or with, with compassion, with teaching. And Father, our prayer as the apostles gathered together to meet is that, Father, you reveal to us through the art of broken humility. Father, for the, uh, through those who are seeking surrender over power, Father, those who are deeply and powerfully moved toward unity together at all costs. God, we know that you're working, but we know that there is an enemy. And Father, that we know that any little bit of gossip, any little bit of difference, any little bit of struggle has the ability to create a small fracture. that then turns into a broken church. And Father, my prayer this morning is for us to show culture and society something that is radically different. Father, we pray for unity. Father, we pray that you do amazing things within this body. And Father, in three months and in six months and next year, Father, that you have have risen leaders in amazing ways. We lift you up and we praise you for your goodness, for your grace, and for your mercy. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We want to thank you again for listening to the Believer's Church podcast. Make sure you join us next week as we continue in this series. Also, we'd love a chance to connect with you. Make sure you visit BelieversChurchJC.com and enjoy the rest of your week.